Welcome back to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Fun Caliber. Despite the negative headlines for Europe in recent months, our guest today remains positive on the region and shares his insights into investing on the continent. Hello, I'm Ryan Leifert Amanoff, and today I'm joined by Chris Garston, manager of the elite rated Waverton European Capital Growth Fund. Chris, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Now, you remain positive on the uh, what you're calling the COVID cyclical recovery stocks. Um, could you just maybe talk us through what you mean by this and maybe an example of one of these stocks and why you remain so positive on it? Yeah. Um, well, COVID really challenged a lot of companies. Um, they were either hit by demand disruption or supply disruption. And we take the view that uh, challenges equal opportunities. And if I break those two groups down uh, into two, so on the demand disruption, those were companies like healthcare, uh, where suddenly people couldn't go to to hospital, and so there's a huge backlog of of cancer treatment cases, or the airports where people couldn't couldn't travel anymore, Uh, but the companies then did a lot of cost-cutting. So we feel over the medium term, the earnings potential of that group will be higher in the coming years than it was pre-pandemic. But it also hits a, a, a lot of companies on, say, the, on the demand was fine, but there was a, a supply upset. So it was either congestion in the ports or we all know about the semiconductor shortage. And so if I just take an example here, um, the semiconductor shortage really benefited the the car companies because for the first time in living memory, uh, demand was greater than supply because people had money in their back pockets, but the car companies simply couldn't produce enough cars. So their profitability went through the roof. But for the poor old car component suppliers, it was a very different story because they had to grapple with fairly soggy volumes. Uh, They had very short production runs as the car companies continually changed their production plan. And they had to absorb a lot of the raw material price increases because they're on annual contracts. So they had to absorb the steel price increases and the aluminium and the chip prices and the goodness knows what. And so for them, it's a very different story. And we, we, we like a, a, a company called Autoleave, which does uh, seatbelts and um, airbags. And they've got half the global market for airbags. And we think they'll recover strongly. And indeed, people say the, um, there's about 30 million cars of pent-up demand in the system. And when you look at US auto um, stocks, I mean, they're virtually zero car dealers have got no no cars on their forecourts, which is very unusual. Thank you. And uh, one of the other things you've said is that you've long believed that there's a correlation between ESG and good performance from companies. Um, are you seeing more opportunities come through in that respect to positive ESG attributes or the decarbonisation in Europe? Or have some of the, sort of the headwinds to the ESG trade, such as the increased oil price and the subsequent benefits of oil stocks, um, taking some of the wind out of that, that trade? Well, the one thing you can say with great certainty is that Europe is the leader in uh, ESG and decarbonisation. 
And this whole area has received a boost with the rise in oil and commodity prices. Um, but ESG is very complicated and uh, it's actually full of contradictions. And so whilst um, unquestionably uh, our investment process leads us to, to find the ESG winners, it's not a, a, a straight line. And I'll just give you an example. Um, there's been some talk about the EU taxonomy framework. Now, taxonomy is a fancy word for classification. And basically what the EU is trying to do is um, create rules for which investments uh, or classifications for which investments are sustainable and which aren't. And if you're deemed sustainable, you should get more capital flows. Now that sounds brilliant, but there's only one mining representative on the EU board. So the EU has decreed that mining is not uh, sustainable and therefore should not receive capital flows. But copper is good if you then change copper into electric motors, which help to decarbonize the world. So you've got this really weird situation that you're not allowed to mine copper, but you are allowed to use it. And so what we did is we looked at a, a Swedish company that mines copper because they do it in an extremely environmentally friendly way. They have a very low carbon footprint uh, in global terms. And not only that, they do it in a very safe way. They've had uh, no fatalities for the last 14 years. And for a company of their size, statistically, you should have a fatality every one or two years because it is a, you know, it's, it's, it's a bulky business. And as it happens, they happen to be AAA rated by MSCI. So, you know, we invested in them uh, pre-Ukraine. And then obviously with Ukraine, they got a big boost. But it was that we don't religiously follow uh, whatever the taxonomy stroke consensus thinking is, we come to our own conclusions. And, you know, we try and avoid the crowded trades because those are the ones that are highly rated. And, um, you know, they're the ones that uh, have to earn off the, the high ratings. No, absolutely. Thank you. And you touched on a Swedish company there, and we have seen that you've got quite a significant amount in the Nordic region, particularly Sweden and also Finland. Um, what is it about the region that you like so much? Well, what we like about it is that um, successful management teams have to wear a number of hats. And basically, it's four. They have to invest in their employees, you know, to make sure that they're fully trained and motivated. They have to um, invest in their production process, whatever that is, either manufacturing or IT. If you're a financial company, the third hat is to keep the regulator happy. And finally, they need to keep an eye on shareholders to make sure they're well remunerated. And we think the the, the Nordic region uh, gets a balance of those four very very well. So um, you know they do all, they keep them balanced. But I could just say as an aside that we we do also like Switzerland. Uh, we don't have much there. 
because it's an expensive stock market. And, uh, but they are great strategic thinkers. So, for example, Nestle went into pet food long before it became fashionable. And Roche, for example, bought into PCR technology. You know, two years ago, none of us had heard of PCR, but basically now we all know what it is. It's a, it's a, a gene um, photocopier. Anyway, they bought into the rights in 1991 for $300 million. And since then, they've had over $30 billion of sales from the product. You know, great acquisition, great forward thinking. And, you know, we, we do hold Nestle and we have had Roche in the past. Well, thank you. Um, and now sort of taking a step back and looking sort of as Europe as a whole, um, how worried are you about the recession in Europe? And the fact that sort of one, one policy on interest rates really won't help some of the, some of the countries in the union. So Germany and Italy, very different um, economies, very different drivers, exposed very differently to interest rates. Um, is there sort of a possibility that Europe could be fragmented further? Are you concerned about sort of the euro crisis 2.0? Yeah, there are two questions there, really, aren't there? First of all, about recession and then the impact it will have. Um, on the first one of recession, yes, we are we are worried. Um, I mean, for example, gas prices in Europe are seven and a half times those of the states. And, of course, if Putin gets really nasty and cuts off the gas, then that's going to have a big knock-on effect. And also, I think sort of globally, what we're worried about is that, um, you know, with interest rates having been so low for so long, that's created all sorts of distortions. And so we're quite worried about what um, I have to say our friends in the asset management business have done. They've gone into all sorts of alternatives that probably seemed good at the time, but, you know, with hindsight may not have been so, so interesting. But also some areas have had huge investments, you know, and I'm thinking here of semiconductors. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to keep out of the, the kind of bubbled areas and go more into the areas that were, 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 were less consensus to be in. And history tells me that the less consensus you are, the better it will hold up in, 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 in a difficult market. In terms of your second question about the periphery, I mean, again, you know, very valid question, and it does look vulnerable. You know, Italy, you know, et al. benefited enormously from the ECB's net, you know, negative interest rate policy. And, you know, will probably require some kind of um, help from the ECB on that front, you know, through their stability mechanism. But we mustn't forget that um, there's a lot of political will for the euro to, to um, hang on in there. And there's a lot of human and social issues underpinning this. And I think, I think it's very unlikely that the euro will disintegrate. Um, and the analogy I like is a rather old one. So forgive me if you've heard it before. But... Um, Joining the euro is a bit like putting uh, milk in coffee, that it's uh, very easy to put the milk in, but once it's in, it's mighty difficult to get it out. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a valid 
comparison. But if the euro were to disintegrate, which is not our, our core thinking, there would be mayhem in the financial sector. But I think the, the kind of manufacturing companies that we've got a big bias to, they would sort themselves out pretty quickly. So say, for example, you're a German manufacturer, what would happen is that um, you know, the, 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 the core euro would go up a lot in value because you'd have the weaker countries out of it. But then their share prices in the revalued euro would fall somewhat. So uh, net, you'd probably be somewhat up. And I say somewhat up because when the Swiss franc revalued uh, a few years ago, that is what happened. The franc went up more than the Swiss, the, the Swiss shares fell. Absolutely. Um, and then, again, Ukraine situation, we've touched on it earlier, but um, do you think that the war in Ukraine has sort of strengthened Europe in other respects? We seem to have a more united front on the continent. Now they've got a sort of similar enemy um, on, yes. in, in <laughs> Russia. Do you think that potentially could play to Europe's strengths now? Yeah. Um, well, one area that has definitely benefited from the Ukraine situation is the defence sector. And, you know, what we always try and do is to take uh, emotions out of the investment process. And so we uh, had bought a couple of the stocks before the war broke out. And our logic was threefold, one of which was that we felt the defence sector was scoring unjustifiably badly uh, on ESG. Uh, the companies were very cheap. And... Finally, some had extremely interesting technology. In contrast, some other ones have very legacy systems, and obviously we're, we're not into them. So the, the, the sum of all that is that uh, we have kept our, our defence exposure that, that we had before the war. Um, you know, they've gone up, but um, you know, the outlook has improved since, since um, the 24th of February. Okay, thank you. Um, and then sort of maybe bringing it to a close of, sort of rounding the whole thing off, we've talked about quite a few negatives for Europe, some positives. Um, what would you say to an investor today if they're unsure whether or not to invest in Europe? What is the, sort of the base investment case for the continent? Well, first of all, I would like to thank you for considering the region because we have found over the years, a lot of people have a very closed view of, of Europe. You know, they don't like Brussels. They don't like the euro. You know, it's bound to fail. And so, you know, just forget the region and go somewhere else. Um, but, of course, you know, like everything, um, is, is, is more nuanced than that. So, for example, since we launched the funds, uh, you know, Denmark's up sevenfold in dollar terms. That's almost up to the NASDAQ level. Uh, but, uh, you know, in other countries like Belgium, Portugal and Ireland have delivered you a, a stunning zero return. So, you know, you've always got to try and be on the hunt for the winners. And all I can say after the correction, which, you know, has been quite significant already, you know, down 20% year to date, you know, the market certainly looks vastly more interesting than it did um, eight months ago. Uh, the dollar strength should help. And a lot of companies are, um, uh, you know, a lot more global, a lot more professionally managed than they were a, a few years ago. And so what I'd like to do is to just conclude by saying that 
you know, we invest in, in, you know, in great companies that just happen to be based in Europe. You know, they're either at the vanguard of the energy transition or, you know, just benefiting from headwinds turning into tailwinds. But the key thing is to uh, play close, close attention to the, to, the, to the stock market rating because, you know, the biggest headwind of all is a very high stock market rating because at some point you have to earn it off. And if anything doesn't quite go according to plan, you know, that's when you're, you make a very serious loss. Well, on that note, Chris, we're going to have to leave it there. So thank you very much for your time today. Well, thank you. Chris and his co-manager, Charles Glass, have been running this strategy for over two decades and believe that only a third of European companies are run for shareholders. The fund focuses on finding these companies through reforming European businesses. To learn more about the Waverton European Capital Growth Fund, visit our website, uncaliber.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Calibre's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Calibre's research team only. 